0: You may or may not know this about me, but I'm not good at fixing cars. I wouldn't say I'm mechanically inept, but it's close. Uh, Over the years, I've developed a few techniques for dealing with automotive breakdown. Uh, The first one is denial. Uh, So if my wife and I are driving in the car and she says something like, do you hear that knocking sound coming from the engine? I say no, uh, even though I have to say it loud enough so you can hear me over the knocking sound coming from the engine. I generally just keep driving. Uh, my theory is that all engines are kind of hypochondriacs and if you don't give them the satisfaction of babying them every time they make a strange noise, they'll quit whining and get back to work. Along with this, I've put a lot of stock in what's known in medical circles as spontaneous remission. I believe that some sometimes conditions like uh, asthma or depression or smoke pouring out of an engine will just go away. Uh, No one knows why, there's just a kind of healing force in nature itself, and it's best to not interfere, just respect the mystery. Uh, Now, because I approach the life of my automobile in this way, sometimes it stops altogether. Uh, There will be a complete breakdown. And when that happens, I do what a lot of people do in that situation. I, I get out of the car, I go to the front of it, and I raise the hood to look inside. Uh, The question is, why do I do this? I have no idea. Uh, I mean, if the engine were altogether gone, if there was just a big vacant cavity where the engine is supposed to be, then I'd have some idea of what went wrong. I'd have a a clue at that point. Uh, Or if there was like a giant on-off switch that had gotten switched to the off position, uh, then I think I'd know what to do. Uh, But beyond that, I might as well be looking at the workings of a a nuclear submarine. Um, So we end up sitting on the side of the road waiting for someone from AAA to come and tow our car away. And it makes me feel foolish when the AAA person comes because they're always so judgmental. I I mean, they say something like, you know, this problem could have been prevented. Um, Didn't you read the manual? You have a set of instructions. Didn't you read them? Well, I've, re- I've never read the manual. Uh, I'm kind of a fatalist when it comes to cars. Uh, I believe when your car's time is up, it's time is up and there's really nothing you can do about it. Now a lot of people are facing a far more serious kind of breakdown, relational breakdown, with not much more thoughtfulness than I tend to give automotive breakdown. So today we're gonna focus on this far more serious kind of breakdown, a relational breakdown. What do you do when you get stuck? What do you do when you get into conflict and it's not being resolved? Now maybe for you this falls into the category of what might be labeled minor irritation. Uh, There's a person you work with, a casual relationship, and that person just kind of rubs you the wrong way. Uh, You find yourself constantly irritated by them, or you have a neighbor who has devoted their life to irritating you and just kind of being a nuisance. Maybe though, relational breakdown is a source of constant, unrelenting, unrelieved pain. I mean, just hearing this topic brought up is like a knife that's being twisted inside. Uh, Maybe you have a treasured friendship that's been scarred. Maybe you have a brother or sister that you no longer speak to. Maybe you have a husband or a wife, a son or a daughter, a mother or a father, and where you know there ought to be bonds of love There's just this gaping wound or this hole in your heart or the the dull throbbing ache of this distance between you of, of hostility or enmity or love that has died. There is no pain in the world like the pain of relational breakdown. There are other kinds of pain, very serious pain, but there's no pain quite like the pain of relational breakdown. Now, Jesus has given a set of instructions on what to do in the case of relational breakdown. It's in the manual. And our goal today is to get maximum clarity on this issue. And not just to get maximum clarity on it, but to commit to carrying out the instructions that Jesus gave, to understand them, and then to commit to living by them. And the good news is they're simple. I mean, they're so simple a child can follow them. All right, here they are. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 18, 15. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Uh, Brother or sister here just means another person, someone else that you share faith with. It doesn't necessarily mean a blood relation. Uh, So if you're in a relationship and someone sins against you, uh, go to them in private and point it out just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you will have won back that friend. Uh, Now this is if someone sins against you or hurts you, if the other person is at fault. But just to clarify, Jesus also has instructions on what to do if you're the one at fault. And these are found in Matthew 5, 23 and 24. This is what Jesus said. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. These are very simple instructions Jesus gives us. Jesus says, if there's conflict, you go to the other person in private and discuss the problem for the purpose of reconciliation. Now this is very simple, but we don't do this very well. Um, I think out of all the instruction Jesus gives us, this may be the single most violated. This may be the one we follow the least. Why? It's because at every point in his instructions here, uh, and he has seven of these points, we're faced with a decision. And we have powerful reasons to ignore them. The default position tends to be not to do what Jesus says to do at each one of these points. So today, what I wanna do is simply walk through what to do in case of relational breakdown at each one of these seven points so that we get crystal clear on this and so that we take ownership of living our lives this way, of following the instructions Jesus gave in these two passages. All right, so let's look at the first point. The first step is a mental step. Uh, It's something you do in your mind. Jesus said, if there's conflict, in other words, it starts in your mind. You need to acknowledge the fact that there is conflict. So the first point is acknowledge conflict. I want to say to be alive means to be in conflict. People fight. Sometimes they fight a lot, sometimes they fight a little. Sometimes constructively, sometimes destructively. Sometimes fairly, sometimes unfairly. Sometimes fights end in hugs and kisses. Sometimes they end in coldness or withdrawal or shouting. But to be alive means to be in conflict. Conflict is normal. Conflict is just a part of life. But it's easier to pretend conflict doesn't exist. Sometimes people think a lack of conflict is a sign of personal maturity. But that's not necessarily the case. If you're married to a passive person, there's not gonna be a whole lot of conflict. But it's not because that person is so incredibly mature. They're just apathetic, they're just passive. So the place to start is with an honest admission that there's unresolved conflict in your life. You must acknowledge first in your mind and in your heart that there has been a breakdown. If we're gonna do life together in little communities, in small groups, then it will require the commitment, the inner commitment that unaddressed, unresolved breakdowns are not acceptable. Maybe you have a relationship that was once a significant part of your life. Maybe a friend, maybe a parent, and over time, things have deteriorated to the point of breakdown. And maybe you, instead of doing something about it, never acknowledge the conflict and you just let the relationship deteriorate. It's just like it's left on the side of the road like an old, worthless, abandoned car, just dead. Now, the resolution may not be simple. Uh, the truth about conflict is often it's complex. It's hard to resolve, even with goodwill. But let's start with a deep commitment to face relational breakdown squarely. Acknowledge the existence of conflict. It's inevitable. It's even normal. And then the next word Jesus uses is the word you. And the idea here is take initiative. And this is also difficult. I don't wanna take initiative. Let the other person come to me. It's not fair that I have to be the one who takes the first step. Why do I always have to take the first step? Why can't she be the one to have to take the first step? Do you ever say those kinds of words? Jesus puts the burden on you, and he does it in both cases. If someone else has something against you, if they've done the wrong thing, Jesus says, you take action. If someone else has done the wrong thing, if they've done something to you, Jesus says, you take action. Why does it always have to be you? And there's a simple explanation to this. It's because the other person is just so stubborn. (laughs) I mean, isn't that just true? Don't you find in your experience, the other person you're locked in conflict with is just a stubborn pig-headed person. People who are gonna do life together, and it's just so critical that we own this, This is about ownership. This is about taking initiative, owning responsibility. People who are gonna do life together are people who own responsibility to deal with the relational breakdown. They don't wait for the other person to come and fix things. They own responsibility. Jesus always says, you. He never says, if you have something against someone else, if if you've wronged them or if they've wronged you, wait. He never says, wait. And this leads us to the third thing. The next word Jesus says is go. And the principle here is approach and don't avoid. This now gets into behavior. The first step was acknowledge conflict in your mind. Here it's about a behavioral step. This involves a commitment to not avoid dealing with conflict. See, very often I don't want to go, I want to stay. I just wanna stay and stew with it for a while. I'd rather be mad. It's more fun to pout about conflict and rehearse the ways in which other people have unfairly hurt me. Besides, if I go, I mean, it can get ugly. If I go, it may be scary. The number one reason for avoidance when it comes to dealing with conflict is fear. Fear of confrontation. When I was in graduate school, uh, I had a class in philosophy, and the professor was always intimidating. Uh, he was very intellectual, and people were just afraid to challenge him or to confront him. I mean, it was a it was a fearful thing. One day after class, a guy said to a group of us, "I detected a flaw in the teacher's logic," and as he was laying out his uh, scenario, his lecture, I detected there was an error in his reasoning. Now, this is a very rare thing. So we said to this guy, you know, why didn't you bring it up? Why didn't you raise your hand and say something? And he said, because I was afraid that if I did, he would prove I didn't exist. (laughs) Very often, the reason people don't take the step to deal with conflict is just fear, especially if the other person is an intimidating person or is very gifted with words or if you feel like you're not particularly gifted verbally. Now, this is a huge step this go step, and it's important to understand you may not even do it terribly well. You may stutter and stammer and stumble all over your words. It doesn't matter. It's important that you try to use as much skill and discernment and wisdom as you can. I mean, think it through, plan ahead what you're gonna say. It's very important, but the main thing is not to do it flawlessly. The main thing is to go, because avoiding kills the relationship. When you avoid, resentment just kind of festers inside and you become a toxic person. And your world is a little toxic and you just kind of leak. Um, Jesus says you've got to acknowledge the conflict. You take initiative, you go, you approach, you don't avoid. All right, we'll look at the next point in just a moment.
1: In this series, Life Together, we're talking about the choice we all have in life to do life on your own, or you can choose to do life with others. What I love about what Matt's been talking about is that these same principles apply to some common hesitations when thinking about doing life with others. I don't know if they're gonna be normal, or I don't know if I'm gonna like them or them like me. What if we disagree about stuff? They're on the right or the left. I don't have time for one more thing in my week. And the list can go on and on. But the choice to do life with others simply means acknowledging your need for community. That living in isolation is not your best life or the one God created you for. You're taking the initiative to step out from behind your hesitations or fears, and you join a small group. New small groups are beginning. And we have both online and in-person options for you. Registration is now open, and I encourage you to not miss this opportunity to connect with others and take a next step in your spiritual growth. Experience for yourself why life is better connected with others. Head to BlueOaksChurch.org, click the latest news button, and then small groups. You'll be able to search for a group that best fits your needs. Why wait? Register today. Let's rejoin Matt as we continue looking at how to deal with relational breakdowns.
0: All right, what Jesus says next is you go to the other person you're having the conflict with. You go to the one who has wronged you, or you go to the one who has something against you. And the principle here is no third parties. Well, I don't want to go to the person I'm having the conflict with. Generally, that's the last person I wanna go to. I wanna go to someone else. I wanna go to a person who's not involved and say, let me tell you what's going on here. I just wanna lay it out objectively and get some feedback from a neutral third party. Don't you share my concerns about this person who is my brother in Christ and a deeply disturbed psychopath? It's more fun to go to someone else because I can commiserate with them and get support and reinforce my anger. Jesus says that's not the way to go. He says, go directly to the person. We see this in other places in the Bible. Uh, Paul's writing to the church in Philippi, and he says to two women who are in conflict, uh, which has become kind of a, a public thing, it's public knowledge. He says, I plead with Iodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of same mind in the Lord. In other words, there's a conflict between them, and he wants them to come to unity, to oneness, and then he adds this. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Now, Euodia and Syntyche were two women in the first century church, and Paul tells us that they were locked in deep conflict over who had the goofier first name. All right, that's not what they were fighting about, but it's kind of a goofy, they're kind of goofy sounding first names, at least to, at least to us. Uh, what's interesting in this letter is what Paul does not say. He does not say, I want you to take some other people and talk to them about how unfair Syntyche is being to you. I want you to thoroughly discuss her character flaws and neurosis and uh, you know, explain it to them so that they can pray for her more intelligently. You notice these two women that Paul refers to, he commends them. In fact, he says that they're his co-workers, they're leaders in the church. He puts them on par with himself, but they still have conflict. In other words, the litmus test for maturity in life is not the absence of conflict because that will not happen until after you're dead. The litmus test is how you handle conflict. Conflict is inevitable. Resentment, bitterness, those are optional. The problem comes when instead of dealing directly with the person I'm having conflict with, I go to someone else. So that in, in this case, for instance, instead of Syntyche going directly to Yodia, Syntyche goes to someone else and she says, uh, do you know what Euodia did to me? And then that third party goes to Yodia and says, you know what Syntyche saying about you? Of course, don't quote me on this. Uh, like, now, this is just between me and you. This is confidential. And instead of two people trying to deal with conflict openly and honestly and directly, what you have now are three people, none of whom can uh, be utterly frank with one another, all of whom have a reason now to dislike each other. Now, a part of what this means is that you need to deal directly with the person you're having conflict with. Another piece of this is you need to be prepared. As Paul writes to someone else in the church in Philippi, he says, I want you to help these women. In other words, if someone comes to you and they want to complain about a third person, you need to give some thought to what you're going to say in that situation. Because again, the truth is the default mode is often, I just kinda wanna hear what that person has to say. It's kinda fun to hear it. It's kinda, it's kinda fun to hear someone else complain about someone else. Uh, it can kind of bomb the two of you together in a way, but it's not helping the situation. So you need to think through how you're going to, in a, a gracious, tactful way without sounding self-righteous about it, how you're gonna encourage the other person when they come to you, uh, not to ventilate to you, but to go directly to the person that the problem is with. Go directly to the person, no third parties. That's the principle here. Then the fifth point is, Jesus says, go in private, go when the two of you are alone. And the principle here is approach sensitively. And now this means you have to say no to the temptation to embarrass someone in front of other people. Uh, Do you ever do this kind of thing? There's something that bothers you a little bit, but uh, you're reluctant to bring it up. Uh, Say it's between you and your spouse. And so you wait until you're with friends and then you just kind of uh, get a little jab in with a little humor. It's just a little dig, Uh, but it's in front of other people. There's kind of a safety in numbers thing going on and you can get... Uh, you you can't get in trouble for it. You can't get hammered back directly. Uh, Ever do that kind of thing? Uh, I was going to tell you about a time when my wife violated this in front of someone else. uh, And then I realized I'd be violating it in front of a lot of people. And so I decided I'll just talk to her about it privately. Okay, so that's number five. Go in private. Approach sensitively. Number six, Jesus says, you are to discuss the problem you're to talk about the fault. The principle here is discuss the problem directly. Sometimes in an effort to soften the blow, people end up addressing the problem indirectly. They talk about it indirectly. They talk about, uh, talk around it. They never actually name it. For instance, if someone wants to make a statement, there's something that bothers them, you know, there's conflict, they'll try to soften things and they'll put it in the form of a question instead of in the form of a statement. You know, spouse says to her husband, wouldn't you like to get the garage all cleaned up today? And he reflects on that, you know, in his heart and he discovers that at the deepest level, at the intimate core of who he is, he really would not like to get the garage cleaned up. And so he tells her, you know, kind of proud of his self-awareness and transparent congruence that he doesn't want to clean the garage. And she gets twice as angry because she really didn't intend it to be a question. She wanted to let him know It just didn't get named. Now, how do you do this? How do you discuss a problem directly? How do you tell someone about faults, theirs or yours? Well, this comes from a guy named William Backus. Uh, He gives four very simple steps. Number one, talk about what was done. I had a good friend some time ago, very sensitively talk with me about a conflict that he was feeling between me and, and him. And the first thing he did was to say, here's what was done. He said, I don't feel like you're really listening to me these days. When I'm with you, it feels like you're thinking about other things. You're preoccupied. And then number two, talk about how it hurt you. And this is what he said to me. He said, it makes me feel like I don't matter to you. And then number three, talk about what the consequences are. My friend said to me, it feels like there's distance in our relationship now. There was a time when we were really close, and now it feels like there's this distance and it bothers me. And then number four, talk about what needs to change. You want to make this a constructive thing. Uh, My friend said, I'd like it to feel like we're connected when we're together. I'd like to know that you're thinking about what I'm saying and that when we're together, you're fully with me. You see, it was possible to resolve this conflict because he named it. He talked about it tactfully, but directly. So that's the sixth thing. Discuss the problem directly. And then number seven, and this one is real critical. Number seven is you do all of this for the purpose of reconciliation. In order to win the other person back. Jesus says the aim is reconciliation. And so the principle here is aim at reconciliation. It's so important that we have clarity that the goal of Jesus' instructions is reconciliation, to win the other person, to restore the relationship. Now, this last point is the most important point of all. Now, if the aim of your heart, if your goal is reconciliation, it doesn't mean there's going to be no anger. There still may be feelings of anger. But if the aim of your heart can be to work for the best for yourself and the other person, to work for reconciliation, if that's really the aim of your heart, then that aim of your heart will really protect you uh, as you go through the whole process. Uh, That will just kind of leak throughout all the other six steps. But if that's not the aim of your heart, if you're not ready to do this seventh step, you're probably not ready for the first six because and it's so important that you understand this, direct confrontation doesn't always do good. Sometimes if the aim is not reconciliation, if the aim instead is to inflict pain uh, or to escalate the conflict, it can do damage. I mean, it could do some deep emotional damage. And so it's just critical that we understand together this key seventh step, which is the aim has to be reconciliation. It doesn't mean that you don't feel any anger. It doesn't mean that you pretend the person did nothing wrong or that you condone what the person did or what you did or where you were at fault. But it means the aim is to be reconciled. Now, I need to mention also that as Jesus lays this out in Matthew chapter 18, he adds a kind of appeals process. He says, if you do this, if you do it well and thoughtfully and carefully, uh, it, it, and it still doesn't resolve the problem, um, that will not happen often, by the way. But if that's the case, then you may need to seek help. And so he says, get a few other people involved in the process. And understand, he doesn't mean to get some good friends that will help you gang up on the other person. Get some people of integrity that you both can trust, wise people that you mutually respect. And if that doesn't work, as an absolute last resort, there may need to be a formal church process. And the way it often works is the church leaders or the church elders step in, and that may need to happen. Again, I just wanna underline here, this is only in very rare cases. This should not happen often. And it should never happen unless you've gone as far as you can in directly, openly, courageously, lovingly dealing with it yourself. I just wanna clarify this because uh, I don't want our elders getting 100 emails from people who have cranky neighbors that uh, they need to have the elders come straighten out that person for them. Uh, The elders will get mad at me, and then I'll have to have an intervention with them in private, and I'd rather just bypass that whole thing. All right, the last step. And then Jesus says, if you do all of this and there can still be no reconciliation, uh, sometimes, and I don't think this is often, but sometimes if reconciliation is impossible, you just have to let go of it. Sometimes the pain and the damage runs so deep that there just has to be distance between you and the other person. Sometimes there just has to be. Now that's always a sad thing And I think there's a kind of a mourning or grief that's appropriate to that. That's not God's dream. And that ought not to be our dream either. And that's not something that ought to happen casually. But there are times when you're working through and everything just doesn't work. I mean, you're working through it honestly and as hopefully and lovingly and bravely as you can. And there cannot be reconciliation. The other person is just too full of, Uh, toxicity or bitterness that reconciliation is just impossible and to continue to interact with each other just increases the pain and so it may be that you need to let go of that relationship maybe there needs to be distance or separation now I think if and when that happens it should be with the hope that one day there can be reconciliation but you need to know sometimes things reach the point and you just simply need to let them go Now the challenge that I wanna leave us with is to take action this week. You may be in conflict conflict right now and you just need to go directly to another person. And I want you to make a decision about that right now. A high value commitment that you are going to go. Uh, Maybe you've not gone yet. Maybe you're not ready to go because your aim would not be reconciliation if you were to go. Uh, So you need to do some work in your heart first. Uh, Maybe you're not in any conflict right now. As honestly as as you can assess it, there's no conflict uh, on your radar. And so you need to go out and irritate someone this week. (laughs) Get in some conflict this week. Uh, My guess is if we're honest about it, there's someone we need to deal with. So let's just commit to a lifestyle of following Matthew 18 when dealing with conflict. Because I'll tell you something. If you do this, if you take Jesus up on this, you will discover, uh, even if you don't do it well, even if you stutter and stammer your way through it, there will be a joy and light released in your heart and in your spirit and your relationships that will just blow you away. And if we develop into a church where we take this seriously, where we're committed to dealing with relational breakdown in a God-honoring way, to take seriously Jesus' instructions on this, there will be a kind of community that will break forth in our midst that people will just break the doors down to be a part of. And And it can be done. I mean, you can do it. You really can. With God's help, you can do this. All right, let me close with a prayer and then Michaela and the team will lead us in a closing song. God, we're so grateful for your word and just how practical it is to our lives and Jesus's instructions here when it comes to dealing with conflict, either when we're at fault or someone is at fault against us. We pray that you would help us to follow these steps that are just clearly laid out for us. Um, Help us to, to gain this wisdom and knowledge and understanding, but not just to understand it in our minds, but to start living it out. Help us to study it, help us to memorize it, so that when we're in those moments, we already have decided in our hearts and our minds how we're going to respond. We're just gonna follow the steps that you laid out for us, because we believe that Jesus knew what he was talking about. We believe that Jesus' way is the wisest way to live. It's the best way to live. And uh, we pray that as we follow this, that you would bring the kind of reconciliation to relationships that only you can bring. And uh, we pray your blessing over those relationships in our lives, and I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, If you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, For directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, And We hope to see you on Sunday soon.